My name is Abigail Franks, and I'm joined by the fabulous Marisha Malcolm. As it has been touched on throughout the entire podcast since season one, honestly, consistently working to make a world a better place means it's our job to make sure that we take care of ourselves in order to keep showing up and not get burnt out. It is also our job to deal with personal triggers that inevitably come up if you are someone who wants to continue engaging in transformative work. In other words, how do we wounded healers take care of ourselves in order to take care of others? Today, we are bringing in three Southern healers, artists, and climate justice warriors to have an honest conversation about what it means to heal ourselves and heal the planet. As one of the speakers says today, Personal healing and planetary healing are two sides of the same coin. Climate justice, y'all, it's real, it's here, and it's about time. We highlight folks like Beverly Yuka, Jody Lasseter, and Connie Leeper. All right, let's get started with the show. This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South that are hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time. Y'all hero, we have to say. There we go. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Good morning, y'all. Um, I am so pumped for this episode. Listeners did not hear just the amazing um, grounding that Ms. Connie Lieber gave us before this episode. Um, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to be talking about healing yourself to heal the planet or healing yourself and healing the planet um, with three amazing workers who have been doing amazing work in the South um, for years now. So first, if y'all could introduce yourselves and the organizations you work with and where y'all are calling in from, that'd be awesome. Yes, I'll go first. My name is Bevelyn Afuraoka, and I'm calling in from Greensboro, North Carolina. It's right down the street from um, my mother's homeland. Um, and um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. So I always like to tell people, flip that narrative and let people know I'm a proud Southerner. <laughs> And I love the great state of North Carolina for um, the, the grassroots movement work that happens here and the beautiful people that are here. And I work for the Center for Environmental Farming Systems. Uh, doing, I'm the director of the Committee on Racial Equity. Um, and what brought me into uh, the Center for Environmental Farming Systems was following youth and following youth work and doing um, uh, adult allyship work, um, which is one of the reasons why I have loved working with the NC Climate Justice Collective for the past now six or seven years. Um, I followed the youth all the way <laughs> into um, realizing the importance of doing food justice work and food systems work um, connected to uh, climate justice work. Um, and so NC Climate Justice opened their arms up to a lot of our youth organizers across the state um, and who were doing a lot of uh, advocacy work through storytelling and the arts. Um, and uh, from there, I joined the NC Climate Justice Collective Leadership Team and have um, continued to evolve at, um, in community with NC Climate Justice as I continue to do food justice work. Um, I'm also an artist, a visual artist, and um, a lot of that work is is framed in these ideals of storytelling. Um, and so I hope to talk about storytelling a bunch today um, as we as we connect to um, our healing work. Um, there's so many more things that I could probably say. Um, I also uh, am the um, founder of Afio Consulting and do a lot of equity and healing work um, through the arts in, in that space. Um, but without further ado, I will pass it to Jody. Thanks, Bevelyn. Hey, everybody. Jody Lasseter, she, her pronouns. 
I am the co-founder and co-director of the NC Climate Justice Collective that you were just hearing a little bit about from Bevelin. Um, I'm currently based in Durham, the land of the Eno, Tuscarora, and Okanichi peoples. And originally uh, grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina in and around Asheville. So I'm really um, happy that I can continue to be in and work in my home state. Uh, we do work statewide through the Climate Justice Collective and um, I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about all kinds of things related to that, but uh, you know, certainly inner resilience and healing justice is at the core of what we do. And uh, I'm so thrilled to be a part of this conversation today. So I'm going to pass it to you now, Ms. Connie. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am Connie Leeper. I also use she, her pronouns. I am calling in from the great state of North Carolina in the city of Durham. And um, in terms of land acknowledgements, the same ones that, that Jody said. So I wear a number of hats and I want to end with the Climate Justice Collective, but I want to I want to start with um, a little bit more about about who I am as a proud Southerner, as uh, a woman who uh, at my age, I am now considered a movement elder. And, and that's a distinction that I really want to name because it's going to be real important to my connections to the subject, which is about healing ourselves and healing the planet. So um, I am a percussionist, a gourd artist, and uh, do my uh, work in a lot of different ways, both from a sacred and a secular um, perspective around healing. And um, my work with uh, the movement has been long-term since 1990, uh, coming up through a lot of amazing organizations that have me here where I am today, both with uh, uh, North Carolina Warren, NC Warren, where I am the um, Senior Climate Justice Director. NC Warren is a statewide organization working for a more just and quicker transition to a renewable energy economy away from our extractive um, economies. And we're a watchdog to a major North Carolina utility, Duke Energy, trying to move them away from their um, dig, burn, build a fossil fuel model to one of a more regenerative one. As far as the North Carolina Climate Justice Collective, this is where I bring my head, my hand, and my heart, all of me, in a space that uh, I helped to co-found and am now, you know, co-directing. And the work that we're doing to really bridge the, the, the generational gaps in terms of being intergenerational, the multiracial gap, while also being BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color-led, women and queer-centered, non-binary, all of the um, wonderful labels that, that we have to endure. I think that we, you know, try to be as inclusive, you know, as possible, but also how to model a lot of healing, including tools that have us turning toward each other versus away from each other. So I'll stop there and, and pass it back to Marisha or Abigail. Yeah, Marisha, you jump in. But first, I want to echo the tools that turn us toward each other, except against each other. I am bringing your head, your hands, and your heart to a space. Right. That touched me for real. I, I felt that. That was a word. Um, you you ladies get down. You ladies get down and dirty in the South. That is that is amazing. And I, and I love hearing inspirational stories like y'all's that, uh, that just moves me. So this episode is titled, Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. What exactly does that mean to you and, and how do you relate? What's your experience? Um, I, I will, I guess I'll go first. I, I wanted to um, echo what um, you all brought up when we were in preparation about this idea of the wounded healer. And um, I just really appreciate you all bringing in this very sacred um, framework and understanding um, how uh, how we all come through the challenges that we've had in life to, in some ways, I, I don't want to necessarily use this word, but in some ways to, to like create an expertise or 
um, around healing or even to um, um, to go through our our own um, hardships in order to um, to live in our life purpose. I think that our wounds in in a lot of ways inform our, our life purpose. And so I just wanted to share some gratitude about um, this idea of of um, transformation. So uh, I wanted to share a bit about um, how it is that I got into this work, which as mentioned earlier, I follow the youth. And so I also follow my own inner child and my own um, uh, my own youthhood. Um, and I just think that uh, when I was younger, I had a lot of things that were working against me that were created by society, created by the world, um, that that were created by institutions, including my family, <laughs> because family is an institution. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and uh, like I, I didn't mention this earlier, I mentioned that my mom's from um, North Carolina. My dad is from Nigeria. And so being in this multicultural household, there were so many negotiations <laughs> that were happening culturally um, that that created challenges, but also were um, are the challenges that I embrace most in this world. Um, I have four siblings growing up and one thing I was second to last, you know, and one thing that I realized um, I've been realizing more and more as an adult is that in this dynamic, this very strong family dynamic, I felt silenced um, sometimes, not even necessarily by people telling me to be quiet, but just being younger and following the lead of very, very, very strong personalities um, and that in and, and just kind of um, in my reflections, witnessing how that story or that like fight for telling my own story or sharing my own perspectives extended into the world and extended into like, you know, um, negotiating what my space was at school or on soccer teams that I played on um, or uh, in the bands that I played in. And so um, I I would say that for me, um, the thing, the, the healing that has been really necessary in my life has been about feeling silenced in some situations um, in in a micro sense and also in a macro sense and finding ways to collaborate with other people to not only uplift my voice, but to support people who are most impacted by the silencing effects um, to be able to tell their stories um, in the most dynamic and beautiful and grounded in indigenous practices way. Um, <laughs> and I have found that um, that doesn't necessarily have to happen in isolation, um, that doing the work is about um, about like going within, going within and, um, and finding those really beautiful entry points to connect outwardly. So that's 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 my first wave <laughs> of sharing around this idea of um, healing on an on a larger ecological level. Holy crap. <laughs> I felt that was that explored a lot and covered a lot in a very short time period. Thank you, Bevelyn. Uh Jody, what how what does this mean to you? And then passing to Connie. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the personal healing and the planetary healing are two sides of the same coin, right? We are nature. So if we're doing healing work. Uh, for ourselves on a personal level, it inevitably ripples out into our work in the world, our work in our movements, and vice versa, as we're doing healing justice work in our movement spaces, it inevitably sparks inward, um, you know, healing and transformative processes like Bevelyn was describing. So I want to kind of, um, you know, suggest the idea that, that we, uh, that you know that we don't need to sort of step away from our movement spaces or away from our workspaces in order for our personal healing journeys to begin. And and I and I really feel strongly that um, because we are nature, because we are embedded in the web of life, because you know we are inherently interconnected, which in so many ways we've been seeing that and that sort of the the negative aspects of that through this pandemic we cannot escape being embedded in social and ecological relationships that are completely intertwined so the healing journey is really a collective one no matter what 
And the question is, how do we um, consciously participate in that? Right. So what am I doing? I like to think about myself as just one little cell in this vast body of the planet. And how can I be as healthy and happy in my cell so that I'm, you know, I'm contributing to that whole body in a good way? Um, so that means, yeah, I definitely have to take some responsibility for myself and the way that I show up and how I, you know, how I convey <laughs> my healing into all that huge, vast body that I'm a part of. But how do I also recognize that I can never do it alone? It's never, you know, it's never um, just an individual enterprise. And so that idea of sort of self-care gets a little tricky for me here because I think that, yes, we do need to be able to engage in practices that, um, that we're taking care of ourselves. You know, we're putting on our own oxygen mask as they tell us on that airplane, you know, you gotta put on your own mask first and recognizing that, um, that we are always in a community and a communal context and are impacted, impacting others and are being impacted by others. And so I'm thinking about um, this song by a woman named Mother Turtle we always we use this chant a lot in our gatherings when we sing and um, do call and response. And the first part of that chant is the people of the world are gathering. Together we're creating a world unafraid of feeling. We're initiating healing. So we're initiating healing when we are willing to feel deeply what's happening in ourselves and in our broader movement and then be in community to just kind of digest those feelings and then bring those feelings into action, right? Take action together that's gonna bring the results that we that we wanna see in creating this livable future. I, <laughs> this is only the first 20 minutes of the podcast and I still feel like I need to take a break, like a breath and write this down and digest this. Um, Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Especially, I love how you talked about bringing accountability into this space. I think a lot of folks assume that self-care is individual and it is, you know, not selfish, but you're focusing on yourself and in reality, it's a community effort. Um, yeah. But yeah. I know Marisha was going off in the chat. Um, <laughs> and, I'm yeah. agreeing with y'all. Y'all are dropping gems this morning. Like, I have nothing but gratitude to y'all. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on. All right. So if I were to describe what a wounded healer is, I would just have to say as a wounded healer myself, how I am and bring in the lessons that, that I have learned on this, on this journey of the personal and the political in the healing in terms of the micro um, and the macro. And for me, I have made the road by walking, by being able to know myself in, in such a way that as I am doing my healing work, whether that's in a therapeutic or a collective sense, the most important thing for me is to distinguish the difference between unlearning and overcoming. And so all my wounds are no longer traumatic. And I have overcome and learned all kinds of skills and tools and wit and charm and humor to move myself through those spaces where I might have been stuck and, and, I, and I might have been acting out in, in shadow ways. And so what I, why I mentioned that is because it's also important to talk about myself as a wounded healer in terms of what I am not or what I am no longer. So I am no longer bitter. I am no longer um, in a sense of, of victimhood. I am no longer uh, narcissistic or have rage. And for me, the constant fear and the state of alert, I'm able to put those at rest at different times when I create those spaces where I can enter into not because it's safe, but because I'm brave. So whatever other wounded healers who are listening do in your body of work, I would say that is one of my learning curves in a therapeutic process was the sort of peace within, uh, peace among 
and and peace without. And that was very important to me in terms of understanding what is good communication when I'm triggered, how to bring myself back to my right, you know, my right, my right self um, by noticing the physical things around me. But more importantly, what I've learned is in order to do this work, I cannot always be focused on myself or the self. I have to also look at the other and the context. And that's called being congruent or in congruent conversations or, uh, and then what is my, what is my, um, my comfort level, my compass, my compass of comfort. And am I always moving beyond the very small window of comfort to that space where you grow, which is in stretch? So I try to, I, a wounded healers have to live in stretch and we have to always be very clear, or I have to always be very clear that, that um, I am making this road while walking it. It's lifelong work as an elder. And when I say elder, I'm talking uh, Medicare, ARP, car carrying, as in 66 years old. And I've been doing movement building work from some kind of justice lens since I um, was a teenager. And my first uh, professional nonprofit industrial job was in 1990. And all that time I have been overcoming versus trying to unlearn behaviors that uh, you fall back into because it's very hard to unlearn a trigger, but you can certainly overcome a deep male voice yelling and you know that it's not your father from your origin, your trauma origins, that mm-hmm. is lifelong mm-hmm. work. Thank you. Honey, I love you so much, Connie. <laughs> and, so con- oops, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Nope, Devlin, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna, um, I was just gonna highlight the word victim mm-hmm. and, um, that Connie brought up. And I think that it's, it's just, it's a really important concept to zoom in on. Um, I remember when I was younger, I probably was like 17 or 18 and I was talking to a, men, a mentor and godmother of mine and I was telling her about my life, all the things that were going on. It was so traumatic. It was so many things that I was trying to deal with and that, you know, the experiences that I, that I was having were my experiences and, um, and I was leaning on her to, you know, offer me some guidance. And she said to me, I'll probably talk for 20. I could talk now. I was probably talking for 25, 30. I don't know. I was, talk, I was sharing. And she said to me, Bevelyn, you are not a victim. Mm. And I looked at her and I would, did not want to look at myself. <laughs> I, I'm a, I don't know if my, my um, jaw was on the floor, but it felt like it was because I just felt like she should have held me and maybe she held a mirror up is what she did. And that's so uncomfortable. <laughs> she was working really on me and it took me years. I remember that I had I had that memory. Um, I harbored it in my mind, in my heart for many years with a lot of disdain and annoyance and kind of like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> Um, and she has since passed and the, the lesson that she left with me will, um, continue on even through this podcast, which was, she gave me an opportunity, like you said, to put a mirror up and to realize that my victimization of my, of myself in that moment, even, even when my complaints or whatever were valid to me, um, put me in a position of entitlement and put me in a position of, um, powerlessness, um, that I think, um, I think that uh, it was, it was, it, I, I didn't have, I didn't see any options for myself outside of, you know, uh, what I was doing. And so I see that happening a lot in our, in our movement where there is a, there's a bit of confusion around victimization, which I think yields a lot of entitlement versus um, centering our stories, centering ourselves and um, and, and uh, collaborating with other people, but definitely going within to figure out ways that we can empower ourselves within this very toxic context. Um, and I think that 
that that victimization process, it can be very isolating. And it um, not only isolates oneself when we are doing that to ourselves, but it also isolates other people. Nobody want to be around that energy. You know, or we may draw in other folks that are doing the same have on that same wavelength. And it can be very um, uh, traumatic, not only to our personal healing or I don't want I don't want to throw around the word traumatic, honestly, but it can be challenging to our own personal um, shift and ability to grow. But it also, I think, again, challenges our ability to build our movement. So I just wanted to name that um, I have a constant struggle with this idea of personal responsibility um, versus collective responsibility. And I just want to put that out there, just drop that and then go on mute for a bit. <laughs> no, you don't have to go on mute and anybody can jump in, but that directly leads to what one of my biggest questions was um, as someone who also is a wounded healer. I mean, you don't go through this life without going through some type of shit, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're queer, especially if you're someone of color, especially if you're all the things um, and, but the thing is, what is your advice? What are y'all's advice about dealing with your personal challenges, your personal traumas, your personal triggers, while also engaging in this work that of course is going to trigger you because this is really triggering, like justice, like working on making the world a better place and working on making this world safer for people to live in is going to be hard. So how do you deal with those personal issues and triggers? while also continuing to engage in this work. And anybody can jump in. Um, yeah, Jody. I just, you go. Well, I, I just, I, I have a lot to say about that. So I'll just um, say one thing and then pass it. But um, I, I, what I've noticed is, um, is that grounding is not just a, a pretty thing <laughs> that we can do at the beginning of meetings with the check-in or in the beginning of a conference. Um, it really does help to take, to breathe, to take a beat, whether that beat is, you know, a few seconds, a few moments, or, um, you know, taking a, a longer break um, and reconnecting with our natural environment. Um, I have, I have a challenge of, um, being in indoors. I grew up in the city and I had a lot of narratives around, um, you know, th that outside is scary <laughs> and, um, and just putting my feet in the soil and talking to the trees and, and observing the, um, observing squirrels for me is a, is a thing where I'll go outside and I'll observe squirrels and I'll realize, oh my gosh, you are living your whole life out here and y'all look like y'all having a good time. You know, and so taking myself a bit out of my body and into, or in my body, but out of my body into the natural environment and like um, just being present with myself has helped a lot. Yes, Evelyn. I am so glad that you were talking about that time outside, time in nature. That's really key for me. And even literally grounding, putting my bare feet on the earth, standing on the ground, uh, just being outside for at least 10 minutes a day makes a huge difference. It really resets my nervous system. So the, you know, the practice of literally grounding is huge for me. Um, getting a, you know, getting a weekly hike in makes a big difference. Um, a core practice for me is singing, you know, singing every day, singing by myself, even better singing with community. Um, literally raises my vibration and, and I really believe that singing in our movement spaces is critical to our ability to resonate together to entrain to be able to be on the same vibe in our in our work together is really vital um and i think any of these practices what we refer to in the climate justice collective is inner resilience any of these practices that enable us to stay in our movement over the long haul are practices that that um, are important for us to take on individually in our daily lives and collectively when we are in movement spaces together um, because they're called practices for a reason you have to practice them <laughs> they're not you know uh, they don't tend to be one-off things right if, if I if I do a really great job of meditating and eating healthy meals and um, you know, doing my singing one day out of the month, that's probably not going to get me where I need to go in terms of uh, my healing journey, right? It's, it's so being willing and able to create the time and the intention to, 
to do the practices that work for you and work for your organization and work for your community in an ongoing way. And that connects, I think, to what we call revolutionary joy. So for us, um, the motivating factor in, in being in this movement is that we find our joy here. <laughs> this is what brings us, this is what makes us really come alive. This is what sends us into the place of the most delight and connection because we can be in community with people that are so deeply aligned, as Connie said earlier, head, hand, and heart. And so what are all of the things that we can experience joy by doing and being together? And those become those inner resilience practices um, that recenter us in what we're, you know, what we're really trying to do. What we're really trying to accomplish is create a whole new way of being in the world. And we get to practice that together whenever we're leaning into what is revolutionary joy. Um, the things that feel joyful in the moment, the things that bring more joy into our revolution, into our concept of revolution, and the things that are by their very definition revolutionary because our system is designed to keep us from experiencing joy because joy is inherently transformative and shape-shifting of this kind of deadening paradigm that we're living in. And um, for me, it's real important um, to just name a couple of things around emotions. And for me, I have a range of them. I'm not always stuck in sad. Uh, I'm not always, um, you know, stuck in any of the other ones. And Jody beat me to the punch about really actively working to find the joy, to find the hope. And avoiding burnout is one of those things that is almost a daily practice based on what your regimens your skill sets, your tools, the way that um, you move, you know, through the world in terms of how personal you take things or uh, if everything, you know, is, you know, is about you. And so when I get myself, see myself getting triggered by something that has to do with my internalized oppression, I have a little thing I do. I can't, I don't have the time to go through it now to bring myself back to my center in a way that uh, you know, it is not it is not all about me in, in certain situations when emotions or emotive uh, opportunities, you know, are happening. I rest. I have learned to say no. That is N-O and K-N-O-W. <laughs> However, I need that to be, uh, I know when I need to say no. And um, the, the other important thing about doing this work and taking care of myself is I've learned through the years not to participate in my own marginalization because that increases, you know, the sort of guilt and the martyrdom. So when I say I don't participate in my own marginalization, if I know that I am about to be tokenized or asked to come on a board or do an event, because I, you know, fit a specific demographic and it's less, it's more optics, you know, than it is substance. Um, I, I don't participate in that. And I have a very righteous uh, gut radar, uh, sensey, spidey sensey uh, opportunity to know when I am, am being marginalized and then if I should decide very strategically to participate in that, it's only to make a statement and to name the marginalization in a way that is nicety, uh, as Janet Jackson would say, or using my how computer voice in a way that the stereotypes that I'm always having to navigate that the angry black woman, uh, you know, being very careful uh, how, when, and um, and should I speak, being discerning. And so for me, I don't allow myself to get caught up in certain movement dramas that uh, we take sides on, and I'm not gonna participate in council culture 
uh, with 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 the people in the movement, you know, who I love and who are perfectly imperfect. And so not taking things personally and, um, you know, not participating in my own marginalization, resting. And I'm not talking about nap ministry resting. I'm talking about resting in in music and song and art and even, you know, a good Netflix series occasionally as I work on that addiction. Ooh, we addictions, addictions. <laughs> Speaking of going through, you know, sometimes we got to go through, we go through in order to um, to stop some things. And, and I am, um, I feel that um, my uh, practice, my art practice is a direct result of going through a lot of things in my personal life that were that encouraged um, addictive behaviors that had to come first <laughs> it, um, because of my inner escapism. And before I got to that grounding point of realizing that um, I matter, I matter and my impact matters. And um, I, I'm, I'm worthy of um, being treated in the ways that Connie described as a human being, but as an amazing human being that has purpose Come on. in, purpose in um, this world. And so, um, and I think that, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's not okay to make generalizations, but sometimes it really is. And I think that we are all, um, we all made choices to be here on earth to, to um, live in our purpose. And um, we were all here, brought here, or we are all came here to create something. Um, and so centralizing that, that creative process um, has, for me, has been the ways that I've been able to get out of addictive um, behaviors. And when I say addictive, it, it could be um, in terms of the way that I, um, addi addiction to my own marginalization, the things that I say yes to, the same things that I say no to. Um, and I I've realized that in a lot of ways I have had an addiction to saying no to things that are actually really great for me because I'm scared because of fear. Um, and so what has helped me to ground in my own sense of uh, K-N-O-W, knowing, <laughs> personal knowing, is um, creating a, a, an art practice um, that actually, in terms of the practice part, came later in my life, came more recently. Um, and I went really, really deep within. Um, and I think that my art practice became a, a process of channeling messages and um, especially around our relationship to the natural environment. Um, and so once I was able to get into a groove of understanding the mediums, the technical side of things, um, I just realized that our, our um, like, I, I'm a beacon of, of um, communicating stories that I may have assumed were not mine because they're so great, but um, but yeah, they're totally mine. <laughs> and so um, so my art practice then, um, after a while, I started showing my art to different friends and community members. Um, and this there was this uh, this healthy validation that came from being able to share in um, on these these different platforms, and they have created an opportunity for me to connect more deeply around um, climate justice and um, and in this like deep understanding of of what it means to be a part of our home. Um, and so I just wanted to share that my art practice has saved my life in so many ways. Um, it has opened my mind to um, to the things that I was really afraid of and that I have and given me courage to um, to move forward one, you know, stroke at a time as if my um, my paintbrush is my wand. And I encourage um, anyone who's listening to do some reflection on what is your what it, what are you creating? And it doesn't have to be that you decide on creating something and that's your career or that you're creating something that's what you're creating for the rest of your life. Um, but uh, I think that every word that we say out loud is a form of creation because it vibrates um, like into infinity, you know? 
Um, so I, I just wanted to share my ongoing gratitude for artists out here who don't get paid enough <laughs> um, and storytellers and cultural workers who don't get acknowledged for the tremendous impact that they have made on keeping us all sane and grounded in um, this connection that I think Jody, uh, Connie and I are all talking about. Wow. Like y'all do it so perfectly. Y'all just transition us into the next question and the next question. And the things that y'all are dropping are gems. Like what? Like I'm going to take these and I'm going to use them throughout my life and keep them as tools. And speaking of tools, I want to ask, what are some tools that y'all use to combat burnout, to take care of yourself? We're all going through this movement every day. We all have traumas of our own and we're moving through these movements and we're trying to we're trying to help others and even help others go through their trauma. But how do we take care of ourselves? Well, I think um Connie and Bevelyn have both spoken so beautifully to the importance of the clear yes and the clear no. Right? So a key way of um, combating burnout is knowing, knowing what your capacity is and being able to build your capacity through the kind of um, creative activities that Bevelyn was just describing so that you can have a bigger yes and lean into that and also have those boundaries around what you are not willing or able to take on that no that Connie was describing. And so that's really key. And then there's some some core practices that um, that we've adopted that Connie has, has uh, really helped us with as a gourd artist, creating these amazing rattles, these gourd rattles. And we will frequently in our meetings or just when we're hanging out, pick up those rattles, put on a really great um, piece of music and just shake it off. We literally just shake those rattles. We shake until we feel better. And, um, and, you know, we know that this, this, this action of literally shaking, moving your body, but shaking your body is an amazing way of resetting your nervous system and dealing with the stressors that we're under on a regular basis. And so something that could be really simple and just takes a couple of minutes can help us re-energize and be able to deal with, um, whatever the thing in the, is in the moment that, um, might be pushing us over the edge. But, you know, I think burnout comes when we're not attending to ourselves, doing the kind of centering and grounding work that we've been talking about, doing the kind of deep reconnecting within ourselves with our own purpose and our deep yes. What is it that brings us to this work? How do we lift ourselves up in our daily practices around that? And then how do we reach out to each other and be in a mutual, um, you know, a mutual revolutionary joy space around that as much as possible and integrating that into what we're into what we're up to? Um, Because burnout isn't something that just happens overnight. It kind of creeps up on us. And so I think being able to realize that we don't have to do the 10 day personal meditation retreat in order to be able to reset, we can reset day by day. And that really helps with the strain that comes, um, that can bring burn, burnout on. And, and I'll end by saying uh, more historical than now, as again, my claim to being an elder, you know, um, in, in the movement. But for me, recognizing the signs before it gets too late. If I'm always weary and fatigued and uh, begrudgingly entering a space for a meeting, this predates virtual meetings, of course, really checking in with, with what's going on with me and then doing my capacity inventory of what am I you know, doing that is, uh, just in my head, my head work, and what's and what am I doing that that is coming from my heart, and how am I doing working, you know, with my hands? And if everything is leaning toward my head, and I'm not doing those things um, that are about the heart and the hand, then I know that I am getting in trouble, and I course correct. And uh, course correcting is 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 extremely you know, important. And and that's all a part of knowing yourself and knowing, uh, you know, when, when, 
there is a trigger when you should be uh, uh, ready to do flight or fright, flight or fight. And um, when is there a trigger that's a false alarm? And learning to not always be in a constant state of having to react, uh, then for me, I do that discernment and and balance out the head, the hand, and the heart. And that's always uh, a go-to for me, even even when I get weary, you know, now uh, at at the age and the and the longevity with which I have been doing this work, it is never to the point to where uh, I will quote uh, a phrase from Alice Walker: "Activism is the rent I pay for living on the planet." So I'm always going to be true to. The, the justice warrior in me, but I am also making very sure that I'm not a martyr and sacrificing myself to the cause that never ends. And I would love to uh, take this um, moment to do a shameless plug about why it is that I love IC Climate Justice Collective so much. Um, and I, I love this, this hand, um, heart, hand, head, heart, um, uh, I love the framework so much and I just feel it's important to also name the gut coming from the food systems, <laughs> uh, perspective and food justice and making sure that we are, um, our bodies are nourished. And part of that is spending time outside. And also part of that is being able to, um, to, engage in some uh, beautiful food and some and sometimes that food is straight from the garden organic and you know um and uh super clean and hopefully that's that is something that we can um, build a movement around making sure um everyone has access to and also it is it is soul food you know it's it's that that food that we eat that is connected to our culture um and th those two things aren't dichotomous either they can be one and the same but um i just think it's really important to name that um access to our nutritional selves is is um is huge in this conversation um and it uh somehow feels very clear to me but it is a very divisive conversation and um in movement spaces um so yeah that good and the good also is the first thing that forms it forms before the heart the head and the hand uh, the hands um and so that kind of starting from the root piece is um is, is something i just wanted to name as well but shameless plug about instant climate justice collective um when we when i was doing youth organizing wanted to connect around climate justice we came to the into climate justice summit um, and we went multiple years, but um, the reason why it was possible for uh, 20, 25 youth that, uh, that we were able to organize to come to this summit is because NC Climate made um, a scholarship for every single person to participate. Each of these youth were coming from um, uh, climate disaster areas, even though I don't want to frame it as like beautiful communities that were, um, that have been um, traumatized by these major industries that don't care about the health of, of, of the, um, the communities. Um, and so these youth being able to come to a conference, which is, we don't call it a conference, but this space where there are multiple people gathering um, for free was in, so um, impeccably important for their participation. Um, and I'm naming that one because of what does it mean to for an organization to be accountable to access to these types of spaces. And so access is one thing, I can use the word retention is another thing, but also do these youth even want to be there? You know, like that is a huge question. And it's not only youth, but do, do the humans that are participating in this movement want to actually be in the spaces where we're looking to build and, and connect around our movement? Um, I don't know if a lot of conveners are actually thinking about that enough, <laughs> but when I walked into NC Climate Justice Summit for the first time, I was flabbergasted by the true diversity um, of people that were there. 
Um, I looked at the numbers later. I wasn't allowed that first year because I wasn't on a leadership team. But it was it was like in terms of race, class, gender, um, age, the numbers were almost 50-50 across the board, um, urban versus rural. And I had never seen a space that was so intentionally um, uh, co-created. Not only that, but um, I, you know, as as you all may know, bringing youth from multiple regions of a given state or of, of um, that are coming from different places is a lot of work, and that was um, my responsibility. But once we got there and got settled into um, the conference space, I was able to, as an adult ally, experience true rest and respite because um, that first day was all about cultural work and getting to know one another and knowing who's in the room and making sure that um, there is no there wasn't isolation between identities and um, in this very like kind of quote-unquote toxic way. Um, so I'm pretty sure that first year Climbing Poetry was performing and um, that was also an investment. So I just think that I just wanted to like really break down that first initial experience with NC Climate because it is a lot of work <laughs> to be able to create healing spaces on a community level. Um, uh, so uh, thank you so much, Kanye and Jody, Jody, for being such powerful visionaries and putting that intentional work in um, uh, from Git to be able to make sure that um, we can rest, but also feel like we're a part of the community as we are, um, as we're building it. Oh, Bev, love, love you so much. Thank you for being such a phenomenal co-creator and visionary with us in the Climate Justice Collective leadership team. It's just an amazing joy to be able to conspire together. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, uh, Bev, for that, for that amazing shout out. And I am suspecting that perhaps our time is coming nigh. It is. And the thing is, I could talk to y'all forever, but I know y'all are so busy. And so I kind of just want to close this really beautiful space, which, first of all, now that we're on the spirit of thanking, um, thank y'all for giving me soul food. Um, I needed to hear all of this, and I'm sure everyone who's going to hear this will be needing to hear this as well. So thanks for feeding us. Um, thank you. Thank you. And I want to close out with what what are y'all's parting words? Any final any speak now forever hold your peace what you got and i kind of just threw it back at y'all but i'll go, I'll go last you'll go last bevlin <laughs> jody sure well my parting words are to love yourself uh know yourself and be brave regardless of whether you have unlearned or overcome or in what somewhere you know in that spectrum and that trajectory just just love yourself and that negative little narrative that little person that little imp sitting on your shoulder whispering those negative things in your ear um find out ways to silence the negative narrative i'll say to feel your feelings to honor your feelings and find spaces where you could be witnessed in and processed through them so that you can find the power inside of whatever your feelings are pointing you toward. Um, yeah, definitely follow your gut in that and uh, know that there is revolutionary joy to be had every day. If you reach for it, you will find it. Creates, creates, creates. <laughs> um, and, cre and knowing that creation is a very dynamic process and it could be um, alone, it could be in community, um, and I think both are important. And be impeccable with your word is one of the four agreements. Um, that really matters what we, not only the stories that we share with other people, but the short stories that we share with ourselves. Um, I sometimes get really uh, nerdy about breaking down specific words. Um, and I think that um, in, in movement space, it's really important to, to uh, work on describing what it is that we mean when we say things. Um, and uh, practicing that uh, listening and practicing um, the discernment that Miss Connie has been talking about. So yes, create, listen, and um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>